Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. Anyone who woke up before sunrise this weekend was treated to a pair of cycling masterclasses. We've got a new set of world champions, and we're here to talk through how the rainbow bands were won. Joining me to do so is my co-host Tom. Tom, how are you? Good evening. Uh, well, it's good evening for me, um, everyone. Yeah, I, as promised, I am in Italy, so uh, I'm doing very well, thank you. I wasn't quite up before sunrise, but I obviously have done the requisite catching up, and I'm ready to go and talk about uh, <clears throat> those predictions we made weren't too great in the end, were they? Well, I mean, look, we both admitted that we thought Van Vluten would win um, before oh, yeah. we gave other predictions. So we got that. My Bardet one we don't need to talk about. Your Matthews one was a very good prediction in the end. I'm very happy with my Matthews one. I was really thinking about your Bardet one and me, as I've done with Julian Alaphilippe before as well, just categorically ruling out the eventual winner uh, and saying he didn't have a chance because uh, he'd be too tired after the welter. Well, do you know what, actually? This is a stat for you, Tom. Um, Remco Venepol, I think, is the first ever male rider to win the Vuelta and the Worlds in the same year. So your, your idea didn't come from nowhere? No, but nonetheless, it was wrong. But it was wrong. That's crucial. Yeah. Um, Tom, do you want to know what this weekend really cemented for me? Yeah, obviously I do. I was trying to think, who's this relating to? This is relating to the, the World Championships uh, event of road racing. Okay, Let, let's have it. I would really like to become a world champion. It took this weekend to cement that for you. No, you know what? I've, I've thought it for a while because you know there's that question is like, you know, if you could win a race, which race would you win? And people think, oh, would it be Flute Roubaix? Would it be Flanders? Would it be the Tour de France? For me, the World Championships. Above the Tour de France, I think. I get it. I would always have the Tour. I think there's something... I just think a three-week Tour, Grand Tour is is more difficult. And... I don't know. It's weird. In other sports, you would all probably even on the track, you know, you'd always take the world championships. But um, the tour is one of those events that almost just sort of transcends transcends the sport. Um, in terms, of, you know, when you talk to a complete layman about cycling, they only know the Tour de France, don't they? They're not. You don't, they don't know about the rainbow jersey in the world championships. I don't care. I, I honestly don't care. I want to win the rainbow jersey. Keep your yellow jersey, Tom. I want the rainbows. Well, in the case of Remco Evenepoel, I suspect he might have both quite soon. Well, you know, should we talk about somebody that's won basically every jersey there is to win this year? Go on, let's. I mean, it's been a phenomenal year, hasn't it? Annemiek Vluti van Vluten off the Netherlands um, broke her elbow three days before the women's road race, which kind of ruled her out, I think. We recorded our preview before she broke her elbow. So we were like, oh, well, you know, she's going to win. I think once she broke it, everyone was thinking, you know what? She's not going to win now. It's a really tough ask for her. She suffered like a dog out on that course. Like there was a, there was a climb, I guess the, the only climb that was in it, Mount Pleasant. As they were coming up at one of the kind of penultimate times, she got spat out the back and I was like, right, that's it. That's the last we're going to see of her. And it was the last we saw of her until the final 500 metres. Straight past everyone up the right-hand side of the road. Where's that come from? No, absolutely no. It was a complete flyer. I was in shock. It was, what, 7.30 in the morning here. Um, I was a bit sleepy-eyed. And um, I, I was, for all intents and purposes, I was, I was quite disappointed that that five-rider break hadn't stuck. 
because there's nothing I love more than a world championships where like a random bunch goes off the front. Although in the women's race, it was not a random bunch. It was five of probably the best bike races in the world. Um, and I really, really wanted them to stick away. Uh, and they didn't. And I was like, right, for God's sake, it's going to come down to a bunch sprint now. And that's a boring way to end the world championships. And then Van Vluten saves the day. Not sure either. Is, as we know, bunch sprints get a lot of hate and I'm here to to uh, to defend them. I think a bunch sprint when you're not expecting a bunch sprint, definitely uh, nice to see as well. Um, but yeah, as you say, she put, she, well, she gapped them as well, didn't she? I think officially it's gone down. There was a second in between them. Is that what it was? Yeah, it is a second yeah. to Kopecky. That was right. Yeah. <laughs> um, talking about Kopecky here, Tom, I sent you a Instagram from Belgian Cycling uh, of Lotte Kopecky with her head in her hands uh, with the caption that whoever was on the social accounts of Belgian Cycling had put, winning silver is losing gold. Now, what do you make of that decision to post that image about an hour after the road race? I, I agree with the sentiment entirely. Uh, as is well known on this podcast, no one remembers who came second. But I think there's a, there's a time and a place for it. It's probably not after the finish line of one of the most devastating world championship losses you'll ever see. <laughs> she looks, she, she looked really, uh, you know what, actually, you know what I said I wanted to win a world championships? If there's one thing I do not want to do in my professional cycling career, it is come second at a world championship because you have to go through the whole like parade of going on the podium. And I'll be honest, I think the world championships podium is one of the only podiums that a lot of the spectators actually stay and watch. And a lot of people on TV stay, that watching the TV stay and watch because you want to see that rider put on the rainbow jersey for the first time. Um, so everyone's watching it and Kopecky is there trying her best to not look absolutely devastated. And um, I, I don't know if she did a very good job of it. Yeah, and I think this ties in with your point about the uh, winning the world championships and just being able to say, I was the best in the world. That that never gets forgotten. You get the uh, rainbow sleeves on your jersey for the rest of your career. And uh, there's always that little mark of I was the world champion. Whereas, you again, as much as you, I've just gone on about the tour, you don't get a little yellow trim on your kit for the rest of your career, do you? The tour, you go home from the tour and that's it. Racing continues as normal. Yeah, being I mean, a world champion is for life. Exactly, uh, and bear in mind that journalists like me will then refer to that person as former world champion before their name for the basically the rest of their career. It's former world champion Mads Pedersen, former world champion Philippe Gilbert, former world champion Anna van der Breggen. Stop me when you want, Tom. Uh, former world champion Lance Armstrong. <laughs> no, sadly not that one. <laughs> um, let's go back to Annemiek van Vleuten. Uh, last time she won the World Championships, 2019 in Harrogate, Tom. Actually, that's not true. Last time she won the World Championships was this weekend. You might have noticed, Tom, that I called her Vluti just then. Uh, and I was very surprised that you did not say anything about that. Well, you had said it to me off air already, so I was a bit prepared. But uh, yeah, go on. What's that about? So apparently she's been signing the rainbow jerseys after the race with Vluti. Uh, and I don't know if that's what she's been calling herself, or maybe that's just like a, it sounds like the sort of thing the Australians would call her, doesn't it? She's been, yeah, one week in Australia, and she's already doing it. <laughs> one week in Australia, and she's suddenly Vluti. Vluto. Yeah. Um, but she's obviously enjoying it. So good for her. Um, what did you make? Right. I've got a question for you, Tom, actually. And this is one that's been doing the rounds of it. Um, is it irresponsible to ride with a broken bone? Um, depends on the bone, obviously. Depends on the severity of the break. Um, 
Yeah, it is irresponsible, but if you're 39 coming towards the end of the career and this is your last hurrah, I can sort of see why you would do it. And if you can get through the pain, obviously you're on a bike, so there shouldn't be that much going through, depending on where the break in the elbow is. Like, I, don't, I think you can get away with a broken arm cycling uh, if you've got it strapped up to the nines and whatever else. I assume she's been injected to... Uh, within reason, you know, as much as possible with <laughs> whatever painkillers are still legally allowed. Yeah, it is irresponsible, but given the circumstances, I can sort of look past it. Okay. I, I think it's interesting because the sport obviously has a long history of riders riding through broken bones. To name a few, Geraint Thomas at the Tour de France one year rode the entire race with a broken pelvis. Lawson Craddock broke his collarbone at the Tour de France and rode every single stage. Um, and now we've got Van Vluten, who took the start. I remember Fidel Evans doing it through a tour as well. Uh, broken, my, I, I, like ribs and stuff you see all the time, they ride on with them, don't they? Um, anything that's not mechanically involved in actually pushing power through the bike, I think you can probably get away with. So basically anything that's not knees or hips is yeah. what we're talking. From the, from the waist up, I think you're good. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because Van Vluten said after the race, she was like, I couldn't let it come down to a bunch sprint because I knew that I couldn't get out the saddle and sprint because of my elbow. And yeah. for me, that was quite a telling sign of, you probably shouldn't have been doing this race. But then how can you say that to the person that's just won the race? Um, another interesting angle on this is, what are you thinking, right? If you're part of that peloton and you've just been beaten by somebody who started the race with a broken elbow. Yeah, it's not going to make the rest of the field feel great, I'll be honest. Um, it's not at all, is it? They're just going to think, well, how we, we can't beat Van Vluten when she's in good shape. We can't beat her when she's got a broken elbow. Like, how cropped does she have to be for us to beat her? But this is what I mean. We know she's got the legs. Um, and that is, you know, even, even more clear now, essentially. Um, so you're, as she said, like, if she doesn't have to get out the saddle, if she could make that surprise move, and I would think it came as quite a big surprise to absolutely everyone there. <laughs> um, then, yeah, she's once once she's got a gap, there's not anyone can do anything to catch her, really, is there? It was uh, honestly probably the best World Championships race I've ever seen. Bold call, but I'm trying to go back through. I mean, watching Sagan win three in a row is not very exciting, is it? Watching they was they were sprint. One of them was like a sprint yeah. in a desert in Doha. So like. Yeah, normally when Van Vluten has won the, any race in the women's peloton, she has just cycled away from them with 40k to go. Yeah, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy to, uh, before I go and do a deep dive into, you know, the last 20 years worth of world championship races, I'm happy to say in recent history, that is definitely as exciting as it gets. That's good. We'll leave that. We'll agree with that throwaway comment then. Yeah. Tom, you mentioned how Van Vluten likes to solo away with 40 kilometers to go. Um, that's exactly what happened the morning after, but it was Remco Evenepoel with the victory. I mean, I'll be honest, Tom, I think that long range attack was probably the only predictable thing and stable thing that happened in that race. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, you only have to look at who came second and third. Well, you, we, I say second and third were unpredictable. I predicted Michael Matthews. Um, but um, I've seen a few when the French team was announced saying, you know, Christophe Laporte, world champion. And then, they were almost right. I know he was two minutes down the road, but he's got the silver. He's, you know what? He's been a bit of a surprise package this year. I remember him at Cofidis when he couldn't buy a win. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> and Jumbo Visma have obviously said, you know what, we see a bit of talent in this boy. Let's bring him on, jack him up a bit, turn him into a kind of domestique sprinter when he gets the chance. And it's working. Well, he saved the French skins at the tour, didn't he? He was the only French winner. He saved the French skins at the World Championships too, Tom. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really... We'll start with what the French were doing and then we'll talk about Remco. Um, the French seemed to have it playing out reasonably okay on the road. They had Bardet in the break. Before you get started, his role was not to go to the vic- for the victory there. His role was to mark Evenepoel and cover attacks. Um, there was a very good quote in the keep, actually. That role, he's played a blinder there as well, then, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I know. So here we go. There was a quote in Le Keep um, where Le Keep posted some kind of clip from um, one of their articles. And it was like Remen Bardet was defending like a football defender, um, marking Remco Venepol. And Bardet responded, uh, just saying, I got nutmegged, uh, which I think he, he probably did, <laughs> in all fairness. Uh, yeah, well, it was obviously, it wasn't just Evenepoel who went off the front, was it? He had company um, who he um, probably dropped as well, because I've seen the quotes from him. Um, I'm forgetting who it was, Kazakh rider. Alexei Luxenko. Luxenko, yeah. And I think Evenepoel has, in sort of post-race, said, yeah, I, I had Luxenko for company, but it was evident to me pretty quickly that I had the beating of him, so I just wanted to get away from him as quickly as possible. Yeah, what's the point in dragging him to the line? Yeah. Um, this is what I said to him in our previews. One of the things I like about the World Championships is that select group of total randoms that end up at the end, just because of factors that have played out on the course, how breakaways have gone, how different things have played out. In that group at the end, we had Alexei Luxenko, Mauro Schmidt, Van Eynkhorn, Skelmosser, and Intermarchi Wontegobur Materios, Lorenzo Rotta. <laughs> now, how much can you tell me about any of those riders, Tom? Uh, not 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 loads i'll be honest and i'll be um, i don't think you're alone in that and that is part of the joy of it now one narrative surrounding the world championships race is did remco venepol essentially make it boring i for one enjoy that kind of full blown slugfest to the line of counters attacks chaos um and remco kind of nullified that but i'm not going to hold it against him because i was thinking look if Roman Bardet did the same thing and soloed with 40 kilometers to go, would I be saying that he nullified the race? And I think I absolutely wouldn't. So I can't you then apply that to Remco. 7.30 in the morning, like tipping champagne flutes all over. Uh, just <laughs> but, but do you think it was boring? Do you think it was a boring win? <sighs> yeah. Like as a spectator, you would like a bit more action, but you can't blame someone for winning the race that convincingly, can you? I think it's just because it was so predictable in the sense that he's done it already this year at Liège. He's done it at San Sebastian. You almost thought, well, they're not going to let him do it this year. But he managed to get away with it. It was a Belgian tactic, was to send him up the road. And if he gets a chance, he can go. If he doesn't get a chance and nobody follows him for some mad reason, then we'll sprint with Wout. I think it's worth saying that, you know, the Belgians have probably got this wrong before. Um, there have been some falling outs in that team. I, arguably, I mean, it's, it's all hearsay, but, you know, there, was, there were times when probably Wout Van Aert and Remco Evenepoel were not the best of friends. Um, and it has cost them wins before when they've turned up with an absolutely stacked team and the tactics on the road haven't made much sense. So, yeah, this time you have to say they got it 
back on um, in the certainly for the case of uh, Remco. You saying that reminds me of a quote that the two of them made, well, that Van Aert made in the press conference before the race. And I don't know if you heard this, but they asked them about joint leadership and they were like, you know, how do you feel about being joint leaders? And Wout Van Aert gave a quote that was along the lines of, this is like when you stand at the altar with your wife, you just have to say yes. <laughs> and I was like, right, you you just don't put that kind of horrible metaphor in there. And also, well, yeah. you do not have to say yes at the altar. Well, so not only have you pissed off your teammates there, but your wife's probably not too happy with you now either. <laughs> That's just a lose-lose situation. <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought it was a weird one from him. And it looks even worse now that he's, well, that Remco's gone and won the thing. Do you think, here's a, just a quick answer, Tom. Do you think Wout van Aert will go down as one of the riders that deserve to win the world championships but never won it in his career? I mean, he's still got a good nine or ten attempts left, hasn't he? So He just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to play off for him. No, I, I don't know. Um, I think we all thought he was going to win in Flanders last year. Um and that obviously, well, did we? I don't know. He's Flemish. It's his sort of riding. You just assumed, didn't you? And obviously, it didn't happen. Um, no, I mean, he's he's coming into his. He's got five peak years left at least. Uh, he can easily win a world championship as soon as there's a course that suits him. You're right. He is one of them who's probably going to be marked out of things and have to do it himself. But he's obviously capable of doing it. Yeah, and and also adding to that, contrary to opinion, I think Wout van Aert had a very good race on Sunday. Bear in mind, that a big overarching factor is that there are no radios in national team racing, um, which makes it very hard to know or kind of to coordinate the chase and the, the when you're trying to retrieve the breakaway. Van Aert just realized kind of towards the end of the race, well, these guys aren't working with me, so I'm just going to go off by myself. Dragged, I think it was Alberto Bettiol with him, um, who hung on like a dog walker walking a rabid Rottweiler or something and made it all the way to the line, sprinted and got fourth. He said afterwards that he, he wasn't, he didn't even know where he was sprinting for. He was like, I could have been sprinting for second. I could have been sprinting for 15th, um, which I don't know if that's a good thing. Like, I would quite like it to be a bit more coordinated and them actually knowing what they're doing on the race. I don't know. You go all the way to Australia. I sort of get the, I'm just going to have a ride and sprint anyway and see what happens. Um, no, I mean with the radios, like I would like it if the riders kind of knew what was going on in the race. It makes it a bit more like tactically rather than just chaos i know but there are plenty of races where there aren't radios that for the for most of the sport they've had to communicate in other ways i don't know why they i think they have become too reliant on them anyway um it can't be that difficult to know who's gone off the front and who hasn't well look i will tell you when i'm inevitably racing for the rainbow bands how mm -hmm. easy it is to coordinate the teamwork okay could be olympic gold as well because you don't get radios there do you Exactly. Maybe I'll go for that one as well. Um, kind of to finalise this section on the winners, Tom, I think it's fair to say that we saw the women's rider of the season and the men's rider of the season duly awarded with rainbow jerseys. The women, certainly. If you read through the Palmares and what she's won this year, it's close to every major race. Um, Remco... I don't know. Is there a bit of, I'm just thinking there might be a bit of recency bias there with him having won the Welter and then, uh, but you're right. His classics campaign was very strong as well. It was just that sort of middle season. He just wasn't really around, was he? That's true. I think if it was like Vinegar and Vinegar had won the tour world champs double, that would mm. be a different story. But 
with Remco organising a season as such to peak at this final moment, it all seemed to fall very much in place for him. And it might be actually a, a kind of note to future cyclists to say, if you peak later on in the season, you will perform better later on in the season. Like, don't think you can just like peak all throughout the year. Like, it's difficult to peak at the Tour de France and then kind of let your form dip and then come back up again in September. I don't know. That's a thought. That's from me who has never raced bikes professionally. So that's my opinion on that. Tom, should we move on to do a little quiz? I've got a little GB quiz for you. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah, let's, but I'm not going to do very well. Well, look, I mean, so the first one you will actually have had to watch quite a lot of the racing to know the answer to. So you're shaking your head at me here, Tom. So we'll see how that one goes. Uh, The second one is basically a 50-50 guess. And the third one, again, is basically a numerical guess. So you could fluke something. First question. GB topped the medal table at this year's World Championships with three golds, one silver, and one bronze. How many of those medals, well, how many of those medal winners can you name? You know what? I I know that we won the two... um... That morning when we won the two time trials, um, really having a blank. Zoe Baxter. Correct. Well, she looks. She won two golds because she won the junior road race as well. So that's already two of the golds ticked off. Oh, so what was the final medal count? Sorry. Three golds, a silver, and a bronze. Three golds, silver, and a bronze. Five medals. No, that's not bad, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> um... I'm really struggling on the rest. Look, do you want to put you out your misery, Tom? One, one of them is a, is a former guest on this podcast. Female rider took the silver in the under-23s road race. Was it Piper? Yes, it was. <sighs> Look, I, I, I can only apologise to you and to her because I obviously did read this about five days ago and have just had a complete blank. I'm on holiday in Italy and I've been on the Aperol spritzes all weekend. I think we need to put that disclaimer out there. I'll be honest, you don't need to, you don't need to apologize for that one because I think it's, it's such was the nature of how the under 23 women's road race was built into the elite road race that it went completely under the radar and was difficult to know where the placings were in that. So that's not on you. That's on the UCI, Tom. Um, The other medals were Josh Tarling in the individual time trial. Yeah. uh, Won the gold. And Leo Hater, who was one that I'd forgotten about, early doors, won a bronze in the under-23 individual time trial. Look, at the time, I was... I mean, these were almost a week ago now. That is a, that is a huge... It's, it's a long time, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but I should have done better there. Now for the 50-50 question, Tom. Unless you actually know the answer, in which case it's a straight-up 100%. Um, who had a greater winning margin in their road race? Remco Evenepoel or Zoe Backstead? Right, Remco's winning margin is 221. Correct. I don't know what Zoe Baxter's was. So no, you were quite you were quite smug about knowing that off the top of your head, weren't you? Yeah. Um 221's a big margin. The biggest for 54 years in the men's road race. Yeah, so I'm gonna go with Remco. And you would be right. Yes, right. 221 Good. for Remco, Zoe Baxter, 207. Oh, it's closer than I thought. Very close. Hers was, yeah. interestingly, Zoe Baxter actually set brand new records in winning margins in both the time trial and the road race in the junior ranks across both men's and women's junior ranks. So um, she is a supreme talent. Yeah, that 
is unbelievably impressive. Yeah. Um, and your final question, Tom, is uh, a bit of a more playful one. Luke Rowe has competed in the men's elite road race eight times at the World Championships. Mm-hmm. How many of those races has he finished? Oh, here's one. It could easily be none. He's one of them, isn't he? Um, right. So, number between zero and eight. What do I reckon? I will go with three. Three is incorrect. As a high or low? It's lower. <laughs> it's not none. He must have finished at least one. He's finished one. He has finished one. Um, yeah. <laughs> I could have phrased that stat differently. I could have said Luke Rowe has not complete has not has D- Luke Rowe's DNF'd in his last seven. <laughs> he, he he finished his first ever Elite Worlds in 2012. He came 88th. Uh, and for an extra point, Tom, who won that year in Valkenburg? Oh, really? That was 2012. <laughs> I, shall I sit here and pretend I don't know the answer? You can if you like, yeah. <laughs> it's Philippe Gilbert. Philippe Gilbert won that year in Valkenburg. He's finishing his career very soon, Tom. Uh, um, yeah, in Valkenburg. No, it's not. In, I don't think it's in Valkenburg. It's, it's uh, um, Banche Chimay Banche, which is a very difficult race to name. I thought he was having some sort of fun ride. I thought he was having like. I think that's like a post career thing. Okay, because he keeps putting that on Instagram. I'm pretty sure they like he's you know rented the Coburg for the day and is like, yeah, well, we'll go up my favourite hill and. Uh... <laughs> well, there you go. The Coburg in in 2012 on that World Championships course, Luke Rowe raced up it and finished it and rolled home in 88, and it was the only elite men's race he has ever finished at the World Championships. Makes complete sense to me. Your first one, yeah, get round, get over the line. I finished the World Championships and then. The rest of them, if you're on domestic juice or whatever, nah, once your job's done, just pull off, get in the car. DNF them. Um, yeah. I don't know what, we haven't really got much racing more to come up. We've got Lombardia coming up, Tom. If people want to know what we have to say about Lombardia, where can they find that? Well, I'm, I'm in Lombardy now. So you uh, You're always somewhere a few weeks too early, aren't you? I'm in, yeah, I'm in Milan at the moment. You're always a few, the Giro, you were there like a week before. Now Lombardia there a week before. Um, so if anybody wants live correspondence from Lombardy two weeks before the race, where can they find it, Tom? Here we are. Well, well I see, I might go on our socials as well, which could be at uh, TTPDCST. Um, I've nailed that that week, on the, that week this week, on uh, Twitter and Insta. Um, otherwise, I'll go and check out the course. I'm in Lombardy for about another 24 hours. So, uh, yeah, not much time left. Okay. And then are you zooming back to the UK? No, I'm elsewhere in Italy. A little, a little Giro d'Italia. Yeah, down to uh, Ancona, which, uh, well, a bit inland from there. Uh, big uh, Tirreno Adriatico territory, which is why I always talk about that race when it comes around as well. So, uh, yeah, a few days down in, in Marche. Wonderful. Well, in any case, Tom, thank you so much for dropping in and speaking to me um, in your busy schedule of touring Italy. And... Also to you, the listener, thank you very much for listening. And we will catch up very soon. Take care. Thanks very much, everyone.